hppodcraft.com. Searchers after horror haunt strange, far places. For them are the catacombs of Ptolemaeus and the carven mausolea of the nightmare countries. They climb to the moonlit towers of ruined Rhine castles and falter down black cobwebbed steps beneath the scattered stones of forgotten cities in Asia. The haunted wood and the desolate mountain are their shrines, and they linger around the sinister monoliths on uninhabited islands. But the true epicure of the terrible, to whom a new thrill of unutterable ghastliness is the chief end and justification of existence, esteems most of all the ancient lonely farmhouses of backwoods New England. For there, the dark elements of strength, solitude, grotesqueness, and ignorance combine to form the perfection of the hideous. Mm. Wow. That is a comment about New England. Yes, it is. And that is the greatest opening paragraph one could wish for right before Halloween. Oh, yes. If one were doing a podcast about a horror writer. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are right. Yes. You who are... Chad Pfeiffer. And I, who am Chris Lackey, am agreeing with you, because this is the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That's right. It is a podcast about a horror writer here at hppodcraft.com. And this week's story is one of my favorites... Almost, called The Picture in the House. Yes, and it's one of my favorites, too. In fact, we talked about this earlier when I was in college. I memorized this whole story. He memorized this whole story. For a class I had to do. It's blowing my mind that you (laughs) could memorize this whole story, especially when... Yeah, the uh, crazy dialect part. The crazy dialect part. Well, it it, obviously, as soon as I performed it, uh, it left my brain, because when I was rereading it... You couldn't even remember it. Nothing was retained. Uh, speaking of strange, uh, far places, I was just in New Orleans for the weekend. Oh, yes. The board, uh-huh. our uh, television pilot, uh, premiered at the film festival That's there. right. And uh, got some pretty good uh, reception there. And in fact, I, some a uh, couple people listening to the show showed up, which was great. We um, had actual listeners yeah. come to the screening to yeah. meet you. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I want to call out Dada Voodoo on the message board. His oh, name's hey, Christian. Uh, thanks so much for coming. He, he brought some presents. He had some audio recordings. He brought me in a comic book. I mean, awesome. it's so great. Awesome. All I had to give him was the movie that he was already there to watch. So I, you know, <laughs> hopefully, uh, you know, today's show is dedicated to you, Christian. Oh, right. Yeah. This but it's an old city yeah. compared to the rest of the U.S. Uh, so I was thinking about this. I was reading the story as I was there and then thinking about, you know, what that kind of decrepitude can do to a place. And oh, the, yeah. And, uh, there are these strange buildings, and you wonder who lived there, who's living there now. Uh-huh. It doesn't really look like it's in good repair. I felt a little like a vampire when I was walking around. <laughs> Did you think of uh, of Sting songs? When yeah, you were totally. <laughs> I was thinking of Bloodletting by Concrete Blonde. Concrete Blonde, Blonde yeah. yeah. And I was, I felt like I was in an Anne Rice book. Although I was, as I got on the plane, I was like, you know, nobody would ever buy a book called The Vampire Chad. <laughs> Just wouldn't happen. Now, I believe that you were telling me a story, Chad, that the, even though it was like being in a vampire novel, mm-hmm. your experience had much more vomit than your typical <laughs> Yeah, a lot more vomit and a lot more of urine and uh, yeah. a lot of uh, beads and uh, and, and boob, boobage. Boobs. Boobs. That boob, that's a technical term, boobage. I think yeah, boobage. Well, wow, that sounds like you had a wonderful time. I had a time. wonderful time in New yeah, Orleans, uh, which, I got, you know, the transition is just that it's an old city. So are the cities in New England. Now, actually, when we were in Vermont... Ah, uh, yes, you were just in Vermont. We were right? just in Vermont uh, with the Whisper in Darkness uh, mm-hmm. shoot, and it's surprising how rural Vermont is. Yeah. I mean, it's really the boonies. It's thick, wooded hills, and the roads are, you know, often not labeled, and there are quite a few still houses that are really tucked away from the road you know like yeah. and kind of overgrown and covered and it's it's surprising like it 
I don't think it's really changed that much. It was pretty pretty creepy. I think that's why so many horror writers root their stories in New England. I mean, a lot of like Lovecraft and Stephen King, obviously they they live there, so mm-hmm. it's 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 what they know. But um, just in general, it's such a great environment for horror tales and ghost stories. Absolutely. So anyway, let's get into the story. Let's do that. Most horrible of all sights are the little unpainted wooden houses remote from traveled ways, usually squatted upon some damp, grassy slope or leaning against some gigantic outcropping of rock. In such houses have dwelt generations of strange people whose like the world has never seen. Lovecraft here is obviously just setting a location, setting a place. Yeah. And this place I don't think probably most people, you know, even before I went to Vermont, I really never saw much of this. Right. And so he's just saying, hey, you know what? Out in the world, there are these types of places. Yeah. And it's not typical. You know, usually stories like this uh, or horror stories take place in castles. Right. You know, like in Eastern Europe or just more gothic. Yes, you know, gothic settings. Gothic and settings. And, and, and the, he has a strange line of logic that he comes from, too, which I like. In this paragraph, he goes on to say that this is where the Puritans settled. But because of their sort of fanatical beliefs, mm-hmm. or what was considered fanatical beliefs by their oppressors, they wanted to be in the wilderness. They wanted to be away from everybody. Uh-huh. But the Puritans also have the sense of shame in which they don't want to share what they do in their homes with one another. Uh-huh. They want to keep things hidden. And because of their being cut off from civilization and their oppressive tendencies, they, they kind of get crazier and crazier in their habits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, in, I love the line in there. He says, they cowered in an appalling slavery to the dismal phantasms of their own minds. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know? So basically, they're, they're these rural people out in these houses, isolated. For generations. For generations. They just, you know, they haven't been in contact with the outside world. And they live in those houses that we mentioned before. It was to a time-battered edifice of this description that I was driven one afternoon in November, 1896, by a rain of such chilling copiousness that any shelter was preferable to exposure. I had been traveling for some time amongst the people of the Miskatonic Valley in quest of certain genealogical data, and from the remote, devious, and problematical nature of my course had deemed it convenient to employ a bicycle despite the lateness of the season. Now I found myself upon an apparently abandoned road, which I had chosen as the shortest cut to Arkham. Overtaken by the storm at a point far from any town, and confronted with no refuge save the antique and repellent wooden building which blinked with bleared windows from between two huge leafless elms near the foot of a rocky hill. Whoa, what's that? There's some firsts here, huh? This is the first mention of the Miskatonic Valley and Arkham. Yeah. Uh, so this is, we are stepping into, for the first time, Lovecraft Country. That's right. Welcome to Lovecraft Country. So he's, our scholar's out there riding his bike around. He's riding his bike around, and he's looking for genealogical information. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, who's a descendant of who, and... Exactly. Pretty and, uh, scholarly, you know, activity. Not, yeah. not Not too exciting, really. I do think he probably popped a few wheelies while he was on that bike. He could have. <laughs> he so he doesn't uh, this guy he doesn't like the look of this house he stopped at at all he says it stares at him kind of hauntingly and yeah slyly. oh yeah so but he's in this rainstorm and he's got yeah. it's it, I mean it's coming down really hard and he's got to stop he needs some shelter from the I, rain when I was reading that paragraph and he does say that it stares at him slyly and hauntingly I think, you know Lovecraft never met an adverb he didn't like he uses <laughs> them so much and sometimes it's shocking to me because. You know, they just beat that out of you in creative writing class. Do not use adverbs. Use good verbs. Don't describe all of your verbs. And he does it so much. But yeah. it's almost indulgence, like eating frosting. I just love it, you know? <laughs> when he says something happened chillingly or uh-huh. hauntingly, it's it's funny. I mean, he gets to do it. He's Lovecraft. You I know, know that's I mean? right. Like, that's that's right. right. You want that. Sometimes you want that. So our guy thinks the house is deserted because it's overgrown, and as mm-hmm. most of these backwood places are. But the windows aren't broken. So, you know... 
he knocks. Yeah. There's no answer, um, and he enters. He goes in with his bike. With his bike, which yeah. he leans against the wall. And I don't like to talk about Call of Cthulhu too much on this because there's other excellent podcasts yes. that cover that game. But uh, the description when he walks in, it's just like playing a game because it says... He walked in the door, he shut it. There were two rooms to the left. There were oh, two, right. you know what I mean? He, there's a staircase <laughs> in front of you, and there's a stairwell going down, you know. And then the the, character, the protagonist even says he decided to open, you know, the left door. The left or whatever door, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's where he went in, and then he kind of makes a spot-hidden roll and, and sees everything that's in the room, you know. <laughs> it totally, yeah, it really did feel that way. Uh, so he goes into this room on the left. Yes, which is kind of a, a, a parlor or sitting room. Right, of some kind, yeah. and... Um, and everything in there is a pre-revolutionary antique. Yeah. So he was saying if you were a collector that you would be stoked to find this place. Yeah. But, but it creeps him out. It's too creepy. <laughs> he says, uh, Something in the whole atmosphere seemed redolent of unhallowed age, of unpleasant crudeness, and of secrets which should be forgotten. I felt disinclined to sit down and wandered about examining the various articles which I had noticed. The first object of my curiosity was a book of medium size lying upon the table and presenting such an antediluvian aspect that I marveled at beholding it outside a museum or library. Always a bad idea uh, if you are in an old cottage yeah. and you find a book. Yeah. Don't open it. It's bad. Uh, if there's a tape recorder next to it, especially don't play that. Don't play that tape recorder. <laughs> of course, this isn't the Necronomicon. When I opened it to the title page, my wonder grew even greater for it proved to be nothing less rare than Pigafetta's account of the Congo region, written in Latin from the notes of the sailor Lopez and printed at Frankfurt in 1598. I had often heard of this work, with its curious illustrations by the brothers de Bry, hence for a moment forgot my uneasiness in my desire to turn the pages before me. The engravings were indeed interesting, drawn wholly from imagination and careless descriptions, and represented Negroes with white skins and Caucasian features. Nor would I soon have closed the book had not an exceedingly trivial circumstance upset my tired nerves and revived my sensation of disquiet. What annoyed me was merely the persistent way in which the volume tended to fall open of itself at plate 12, which represented in gruesome detail a butcher's shop of the cannibal Anziques. I experienced some shame at my susceptibility to so slight a thing, but the drawing nevertheless disturbed me, especially in connection with some adjacent passages descriptive of Anzique gastronomy. Oh, oh. wonder what uh, that... <laughs> what do they eat that's so peculiar? I wonder what they're eating. So, Well, I mean, the image is of, uh, of a man mm -hmm. uh, who looks Anglo, but mm -hmm. he's supposed to be African, and he is chopping up a human uh, arm or thigh... And there are body parts hanging behind him, and there's a head on the Now, as you say arm. that, you're looking at a book. I am looking at a book. I'm actually looking at uh, more annotated H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Joshi's, uh, you know, Peter Cannon, also an S.T. Joshi. Um, they actually have, this is what surprised me, and I always thought that this wasn't real, but it's, this is a real book. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Pigafetta's account of the Congo region. And it's called Regnum Congo. Yeah, Regnum Congo. And according to Joshi... Lovecraft found out about this book from Thomas Henry Huxley, and he wrote about this book in Man's Place in Nature and other anthropological essays. So uh, some of his descriptions in the story are actually incorrect because he never saw the original. So he knows about the book from an account from yes. somebody else, but 
you've actually got. I've the, got the picture. And it and let me see. It's, oh, yeah, see it's actually yeah. somebody yeah. chopping up a human body. But it's accurate. I mean, they do look like he almost looks like kind of a Greek man. I yeah. would say he's got a little like a little tunic that he's wearing around his waist and stuff. Um, we're gonna post this on our Facebook page. All right, this picture, so you can take a look at it for yeah. yourself. Hopefully, it doesn't give you unnatural urges. Yeah, like the man we're about to meet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so our, our our protagonist keeps browsing the room. He finds some other works of literature there, and then he hears uh, footsteps, heavy footsteps, upstairs. Uh, they come down the steps, and someone lifts the latch on the doorway. In the doorway stood a person of such singular appearance that I should have exclaimed aloud, but for the restraints of good breeding. Old, white-bearded, and ragged, my host possessed a countenance and physique which inspired equal wonder and respect. He's this very tall old man. Yeah. And he looks uh, stouter and less wrinkled than he should for his age. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lovecraft says he could even look distinguished if he weren't so unkept. You know, for his age, uh, he looked much younger, probably from, you know, good exercise. Good exercise regimen, probably good... Good diet, Diet. Yeah, probably. Maybe diet? Uh... Well, so when he sees him, he expects to be run off the property, obviously. Oh, yeah, because he just walked into this guy's house. But the guy, he just motions with his hand for him to sit down. He's got all this hospitality. Yeah, boom. Yeah, he doesn't run him, get off my lawn. Get out of my parlor. None of that. Quit looking at my cannibal books. (laughs) Uh, Lovecraft describes his dialect as an extreme but uh, and very antiquated Yankee dialect, and and when he writes the guy's dialogue, he writes it phonetically to express yes, that. which some people were doing at the time. Like in the in mm-hmm. the 20s when he was writing that, it was sort of a popular thing to be writing phonetically. Yeah, Stephen King does it now, too. And I actually, some people don't like it, but I do. Um, it can be a tough thing to puzzle out. Yeah. But it does force you to kind of wrap your mouth around the words and, and say them and, and hear that accent. I was forcing you to. I have to say, the, uh, the other night I was reading this to Rachel, uh-huh. uh, and she could not stop laughing when I was reading it out loud. <laughs> So it kind of had the 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 opposite effect. Well, I, I thought it was pretty creepy when I read it. We're in good hands today because luckily we've luckily got we have Andrew Lehman. Andrew reading. Lehman is yes. back to read for yeah, us. Catched in the rain, be ye? He greeted. Glad ye was nigh the house and had the sense to come right in. I calculate I was asleep outside. I heard ye. I ain't as young as I used to be, and I need a powerful sight of naps nowadays. Traveling fur, I ain't seen any folks along this road since they took off the Arkham stage. Every time I do hear something that sounds vaguely like a New England accent, though, I think of Fred Gwynn from Pet Cemetery. <laughs> oh, the old Mick Barrel ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Soil of a man's heart, Estonia. Sometimes that is better. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, the protagonist apologizes to the guy, sorry I'm in your house, but uh, old man, you know, he starts chatting him up. He hasn't seen anybody for a while. Yeah. He says, uh, Guess you hail from Boston, don't ye? I never been there, but I can tell a town man when I see him. We had one for district schoolmaster in '84, but he quit sudden, and no one never heard on him since. <laughs> Here, the old man lapsed into a kind of chuckle and made no explanation when I questioned him. <laughs> in horror, there's like this unwritten rule. It's almost like when somebody breaks wind, you know, he who smelt it dealt it. Like if somebody tells you. Oh, yeah, nobody's seen that schoolmaster for a long time. Nobody knows what happened to him. And nobody knows what happened to him. And he laughs. Mm, Come on. Come on, guys. So um, the protagonist decides, hey, this guy's nice. Yeah, he feels a little bit initially afraid, and he feels a little bit more comfortable around this guy. So the Mm -hmm. guy, he's a nice old guy. A little weird, but, you know, all right. You know, he's letting me hang out in his home while it rains. Yeah, so what, what can I chat him up about? Hey, what's this book? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that African book? 
Captain Ebenezer Holt traded me that in 68. Him as was kilt in the war. He got this in London, I guess. He used to like to buy things at the shops. I was up to his house once on the hill trading horses when I see this book. I relished the picture, so he give it in on a swap. Tis a queer book. Here, leave me get on my spectacles. The old man fumbled among his rags, producing a pair of dirty and amazingly antique glasses with small octagonal lenses and steel bows. Ebenezer could read a little of this. Tis Latin, but I can't. I had two or three schoolmasters read me a bit, and Parson Clark, him they say, got drowned in the pond. Can you make anything out in it? Him they say got drowned in the pond. Him, they say, got drowned in the pond. Mm, strange that he would mention that as yeah, well. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's creepy. It's I'm creepy. A, as, as much as we're we're you know giving a little bit of a hard time. When I'm reading this, I'm I'm into it. I'm not. I'm giving it. Well, you're right. We are being. We're a little, giving a hard we're, time. We're treating we're it a little time. funny, but only because I love it so much. <laughs> I mean, and it really does creep me out when I think about the environment of the storm. Oh uh, yeah, you know the, the rain coming down outside, and he's in this little room alone with this book with this old man. It is genuinely creepy. It's creepy. The first time he comes. It's really creepy. Um, so our guy translates a little of the Latin, and the old man is really amused by it. Almost has this kind of childlike glee. Yeah, he's yeah. really excited by how like uh, the, this guy just lights up when he's mm-hmm. reading. You know, translating the the Latin. Although you know he he is quick to to say, all right, let's stop reading and look at the pictures. <laughs> oh yes, because he says you yes. know queer how pictures can set a body thinking. Yeah. So he shows them a few. There's there's some half monkey, half men pictures. There's a dragon with the head of an alligator. Uh-huh. The the half monkey and half men pictures reminded me a bit of Arthur German. Oh, <laughs> go on. Maybe could maybe be. some of this is because there that was kind of by the Congo where that ancient. It could be. Was. But then again, Picfetta when he did the, when he did this book, he got it from other guys. Like right. He wasn't the actual guy that did the. the yeah. There's a telephone game with the information in this book. Yeah. It's like Ken Hythe actually uh, brings it up in, in uh, uh, Tour de Lovecraft where he talks about how this story is actually eight levels or nine levels deep. I don't have it right in front of me uh-huh. at the moment, but he breaks it down like, okay, well, this guy told this guy who told this guy who told this guy who told yeah. this guy this guy. Exactly. Who, and if you want to add in the fact that Lovecraft got it from a guy You're right. who wrote about the thing, you know, it's even one deeper. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, despite all of these fantastic it, images in there, there's one that this old man likes quite a bit. He says, uh, but now I'll show you the best over here in the middle the old man's speech grew a trifle thicker, and his eyes assumed a brighter glow. But his fumbling hands, though seemingly clumsier than before, were entirely adequate to their mission. The book fell open, almost of its own accord, and as if from frequent consultation at this place, to the repellent twelfth plate showing a butcher's shop amongst the Anzike cannibals. My sense of restlessness returned, though I did not exhibit it. The especially bizarre thing was that the artist had made his Africans look like white men. The limbs and quarters hanging about the walls of the shop were ghastly, while the butcher with his axe was hideously incongruous. But my host seemed to relish the view as much as I disliked it. So, yeah, this is the image that we discussed earlier. It's, yeah. uh, it's kind of a Caucasian-looking African. And the old man says that, you know, he's read scripture before, and, and or he's heard scripture, and... Uh-huh. But he couldn't imagine the images of any of the slaughter. Yeah. But here, you know, it's all it's all laid out for him to look at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I came up with that on his own, but now it's here. It now gets, it's here. It gets a, gets a body to thinking. Here a body can see all there is to it. 
I suppose tis sinful, but ain't we all born and living in sin? <laughs> that fella being chopped up gives me a tickle every time I look at him. I have to keep looking at him. See where the butcher cut off his feet? There's his head on that bench with one arm side of it and t'other arms on the ground side of the meat block. How he describes the picture is creepy enough, but it's when he says, I have to keep looking at it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he just he becomes obsessed with this picture. Obviously, so, he's been looking uh, at it a lot. Yeah, it just reminds me of criminals like focusing over some image before they go out and do something really horrible yeah i mean the core of this is genuinely terrifying yeah. it feels very real yeah, yeah at that moment yeah the man is getting more and more excited as he talks about him which makes our our guy pretty uncomfortable yeah he he's his comfort that he was getting feeling yeah. in the beginning is melting away quickly which the old guy notices because he says uh, uh-huh. as i says tis queer how pictures set you thinking once i tried something funny here Young sir, don't get scared. All I done was to look at the picture afore I killed the sheep for market. Killing sheep was kind of more fun out of looking at it. So he says, you know, don't get scared. I imagine that he went, oh. <laughs> the guy <laughs> maybe started visual, uh, visibly shaking, you know, yeah, like. Exactly. I, I think I would be, uh, you know. Scared. Scared. <laughs> yeah. I'd be scared. So the wind and the rain picks up outside as the man whispers to him more about this photo. More about this engraving. Engraving. The approaching thunder is really doing a number, but the old man doesn't notice. Uh, He just keeps on. Killing sheep was kind of more fun, but you know, twan't quite satisfying. Queer how craving gets a hold on you. As ye love the almighty young man, don't tell nobody, but I swear to God, that picture begun to make me hungry for vittles I couldn't raise nor buy. Here, yeah, sit still, what's ailing you? I didn't do nothing, only I wondered how it would be if I did. They say meat makes blood and flesh and gives you new life, so I wondered if twouldn't make a man live longer and longer if twas more the same. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's talking about some like Elizabeth Bathory stuff there, you know, if you uh if you eat oh, right, yeah, yeah, flesh, yeah. if you yeah. cannibalize, it'll make you younger and Right, you know, it's just very typical in a lot of like the vampire myths and mm-hmm. the Wendigo myth. I right. Think, yeah, you know, it's the, that eating human that flesh. That is the Wendigo myth, isn't it? Yeah, if yeah. You, if uh, Wendigos are people who have eat, cannibalized. Yeah, and then you become time. like a an evil spirit gets in your body. And yeah. You, you know, it's sort of like a kind of a monster. It's, it's, it's kind of a cross between a werewolf myth and a vampire myth. You know, yeah, like it's it's its own thing. It's a Native American mythology. Well, the the beauty secret's working on this guy because, as, so. as was described earlier, yeah, he as looks, was hinted at, he, he, hinted he looks a little, a little younger, younger than he should. Be. Uh, but before the old man can go on much longer with his very very creepy uh, uh-huh. <laughs> art appreciation lecture, <laughs> uh, <laughs> something very strange happens to interrupt. The open book lay flat between us, with the picture staring repulsively upward. As the old man whispered the words, more the same, a tiny spattering impact was heard, and something showed on the yellowed paper of the upturned volume. I thought of the rain and of a leaky roof, but rain is not red. 
On the butcher's shop of the Anzique cannibals, a small red spattering glistened picturesquely, lending vividness to the horror of the engraving. The old man saw it and stopped whispering even before my expression of horror made it necessary. Saw it and glanced quickly toward the floor of the room he had left an hour before. I followed his glance and beheld just above us on the loose plaster of the ancient ceiling a large irregular spot of wet crimson which seemed to spread even as I viewed it. I did not shriek or move but merely shut my eyes. And that's the end of the story. No, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, no! No, it's not. Yeah, I wish, you know, I originally wish it was the end of the story because that is awesome. That is a creepy end of the story. Yeah. Perfect. Good job, H.P. Lovecraft. Really good. But, no, there's no. one more sentence. One sentence left. A moment later came the titanic thunderbolt of thunderbolts, blasting that accursed house of unutterable secrets and bringing the oblivion which alone saved my mind. It's the uh, the cleansing blast of thunder is back. Wow! Blast of lightning, rather. Blast of lightning. You know, uh, you know that's the end of the story. Then that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Uh, it's funny. I actually I read this when I was in high school, and I blocked that part out somehow. I, I I read the last paragraph, and I did assume it just stopped with the blood hitting the page. Really? Yeah. And I talked to a friend, and he said, "Oh no, no! Then lightning hits the house." And I was like, "That's ridiculous." And then you went back and, and went read back it, and, and you're like, wait, oh. lightning hits the house. Yeah, I've got to say that this story is super creepy and feels uh, real. I, you know, I really felt like I was there and I, I could smell the guy and see uh-huh. him. And But oh, i got to say, that, that last sentence, like, what the hell, man? Like, yeah. why? What do you need that? I have to feel that it's almost um, amateurishly a way to bring a definite end to the story. You know, uh, I can't fade out. i got to put some kind of... You know, button on it. But it feels like it's just a ridiculous, totally out of nowhere Deus Ex yeah. Machia. I mean, I guess it's like... not. I, there was a storm, but yeah, Deus Ex Machina is what it is, and I hate that I hate almost that. always, unless it is literally a god coming out of a machine. <laughs> that I, I <laughs> would pay to cool. see. You know, That'd but... be pretty neat. I gotta say that, that I really dig this story. Oh, I love it. Yes, yeah. it just feels real. Like there's mm-hmm. just something about it. Like all of those stories I've heard about serial killers and about yeah. like you know it just feels. And you know that stuff wasn't that wasn't happening or wasn't reported about at the time. There's right. like I feel like Lovecraft really tapped into something. Yeah, he did. He hadn't seen you know because every as you say serial killer movie they find there's that moment in the third act when they they find the house and all of the notebooks and usually there's a bunch of things pinned up to the wall that they've uh-huh. been staring at. Sure, right. The, the informational scene. But you're right. I mean, at the time, yeah, no way. He was thinking about something very real, a personality problem, you know, and an obsession and. An obsession that it feels like, and of course this is totally speculation, that maybe Lovecraft had some similar, not not to, you know, but maybe something yeah. that he really enjoyed. Maybe maybe it was pornography, or maybe Yo, it was Well, like, everybody you know, has that happen to them at some point where you see something and you can't stop looking at it because it elicits. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and pornography is probably the best example. Yeah, it's but, just because that's the one that you're not supposed to look at. Exactly. And that's why so you're compelled, you're compelled, you're compelled, you're compelled, to, compelled to look at it. Um, it, I'm actually doing that right now. You can't tell, but... I, what? That's, You're looking at pornography? No. Uh, or even, you know, if you see a, a book with photos of crime scenes, or, yes. yeah. or... Gosh, I was just watching Curb Your Enthusiasm the other day, I think it was in the sixth season, when he has the book of freaks that he tries to give Ted Danson, you know? <laughs> and then it, it, John McEnroe gets it later, and they're all just like, what, looking at this book of freaks. Oh, they can't stop looking that. at it. Yeah. You know? 
I do remember that. Uh, startling one. and forbidden images do invite compulsion. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm, I'm. It seems like Lovecraft had some personal experience with that. What yeah. that was, I don't know, and probably we'll never know. But no. it feels like it comes from a very real place, and that's what makes the story extra creepy. It's also got a great. Um, you made a point earlier that the setting is non kind of gothic horror, but it does have the great conceit of somebody out in a place they don't know. The storm comes down, and so they have to find shelter. Yeah. But I think what's cool about it is that Lovecraft is saying, hey, this stuff is in our backyard. You know what I mean? This, yeah. is, like, this is not, you know, over in Eastern Europe on the other yeah. side of the world or in deep jungles of the Congo. This is like just down the street outside of town. Uh-huh. This stuff is going on. Yeah. And that's pretty creepy. And it has that moment at the end, which is actually in slasher movies. It's my, I love more than the creative, you know, crazy kills what i love more is the discovery of the body by the protagonist uh-huh. that scene right before and sometimes if it's like a friday the 13th movie it happens all at once there's a bunch of discovery oh right yeah, they open like the they, cabinet yeah. and they all fall and out then they, they stumble back and then there's uh-huh. a body right behind them yeah and yeah. it just drops out of the ceiling yeah. suddenly and, it, and it's always like it's so ridiculous the killer would have had to like actually spend some time you know oh right like an orchestrating like kind of a Rube Goldberg device. Oh right, like yeah, yeah. the like at the beginning of Goonies when like the bowling ball or Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the bowling ball comes right, in exactly. here and then the eggs go yeah, down. And they had yeah, Goonies too and stuff like that. Yeah. I would love it, listeners, if you could think of. I I wish there were more coming to me, but if you could think of from your favorite slasher movies what the most ridiculous discovery of the victim is. Yeah, that would be. Please awesome. write in for please that. Write in. I, I would love to hear it. Some background on this particular story. Yes, please. Uh, it was it was written in December twelfth, uh, nineteen twenty, and. For the record, we sort of skipped ahead a little bit. Yes, we switched some things around. We switched things around because next week we're going to do a, a double header with yeah. uh, Nyarlathotep and uh, the, the Crawling Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. So we just kind of want to put those two together because they're sort of related. Yeah. And um, this this one actually comes after Nyarlathotep. But anyway, so this was written in December twelfth, nineteen twenty, but it was first published in uh, the July nineteen nineteen issue of National Amateur. Which, Which came it, out late then, obviously. Obviously, it came yeah. out very late because the story was written after the because it was actually published in nineteen twenty one. Gotcha. But <laughs> okay, I guess they really they really fell behind. Yeah. On their issues. <laughs> um, some other interesting tidbits. Uh, the uh, the catacombs of Ptolemy that he talked about. Oh, right. The, yeah. What is that? Uh, well, Christians used to be uh, the first like Christian uh, cemeteries were called Ptolemies, like after the first pharaohs. Oh, okay. Um, so, so there are these. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, reading that first paragraph, I'm like, I want to go haunt these strange places. What are they? Actually, that opening paragraph kind of made me think of like ghost hunters or something like that. You know, pe- people who are just they search after creepy places because they just want to go sit in them and absorb them. So they would find themselves in these old Christian cemeteries, which are oh, probably see. these little necropolises or uh, it says sinister monoliths on uninhabited islands. Which oh, right, that's probably uh, referring to Easter Island, Easter Island or something yeah, like that. Big, yeah. People also compared to the end of this which is one of my notes here that I forgot about, to uh-huh. the end of The Fall of the House of Usher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, which also has a big kind of blast of lightning at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. which I think is used to much better effect. In the <laughs> That's a great story. All the House of Usher than, than this, but <laughs> I think Lovecraft has already established himself as a user of yeah. uh, cleansing bolts of lightning. So I, don't, I, I think if he did steal this from uh, Poe, he stole it a long time ago. Because yeah. he can't get enough of those cleansing bolts of lightning. I'll tell you, there are things. I mean, and I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure you could do a Lovecraft story generator online or something that would have some of these dominant elements he uses a lot. Yeah. But read, you read the story, and it really isn't about that italicized last line. Well, not at all. Or that opening paragraph that makes a large statement no. about cosmic indifference. 
it's in the details. It's in the writing. It is. It it's in the moments. Um, and I could read. I mean, you know, we've gone through some of these stories, and they do, to an extent, seem like they cover some of the same ground over and over. But each one does offer a fresh, horrible look at oh, yeah. something. Absolutely, you know? and and that's why uh, I think Lovecraft is so popular this day. Like, yeah, there's exactly. just so much to keep, and that's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, to kind of yeah. go through it and dig it and find the really, you know, the, yeah. the gems. I mean, it's like if you love a, if there's a rock band you like, you know. Well, most of their songs probably do sound similar. That's the continuity. Oh, right. Absolutely. They use a lot of the same elements, but yeah. how do they use them? And how do they play with them? Sure. Absolutely. And and that's what we're doing here. We're trying to fi- find those things that are uh, cool and special. And yeah. Well, uh, if I haven't said it enough, I really like the story and it creeps me out. I love the story. I think it was... Despite the last sentence. Yeah. And it's such an excellent, uh, good Halloween story. It is a good Halloween story. And uh, and with that, I want to wish everybody in the audience a happy, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. And I want to thank Andrew Lehman again. I'm glad to have him back. Great job. Great job, Andrew. And um, with that, I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>